Okay, without further ado, if you'd like to open up to Isaiah chapter 10, Pastor Bob has been teaching here. He gave me several weeks off, which was nice of him. I appreciate that, Pastor Bob. And of course, you'll be filling in from time to time here on Wednesday nights as Pastor Bob gets ready to retire uh, the end of this year, first of next year, and uh, looking at at what that's going to look like with his teaching and my teaching and so forth. But um, I haven't been up here in about a month, actually, on a Wednesday night. And the last time we were here on a Wednesday night, we went through Isaiah chapter 9, and we left off uh, in Isaiah 10. So we're going to pick right back up there tonight in Isaiah chapter 10. Let's read the first four verses, and we'll get right into the message this evening. Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 1. Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune, which they have prescribed, to rob the needy of justice, and to take what is right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless or the orphans. What will you do in the day of punishment, verse 3, and in the desolation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave, and where will you leave your glory? Without me, they shall bow down among the prisoners, and they shall fall among the slain. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Now, just as a reminder, this chapter is a continuing series of prophecies that really began in Isaiah chapter 7. So Isaiah chapter 7 all the way through Isaiah chapter 12 are a series of prophecies given by the prophet Isaiah, the prophet of God, to King Ahaz, who was a wicked king. He was the king of Judah, and he was a wicked king. And so because of his wickedness, because of his offering his own uh, sons uh, in the fire uh, to Molech to offer his children as burnt offerings to the false god's human sacrifice because of the uh, idolatry in the land and so forth. God was bringing his judgment upon Ahaz and upon Judah. And so what we're going to see here uh, this evening is that basically God is using this wicked nation of Assyria to punish his people. Actually, Assyria uh, will attack and defeat the ten northern tribes, and then they will come down into Judah, into Jerusalem, besiege the city of Jerusalem, and threaten to destroy the city of Jerusalem. You might remember that Ahaz tried to strike a deal with the king of Assyria to help him with some other local enemies, and uh, God rebuked him for doing this. The prophet Isaiah rebuked him for not trusting in the Lord. Uh, and, and basically God is saying this to him, you know, the, the enemy of God that you were going to ally yourself with or trust to basically pay money from the treasury to hire them as mercenaries to help protect you from other countries that were threatening you, Syria and others, uh, they're going to turn on you and they're going to come and try and take you down as well. And so it's an interesting Uh, example here, and we're going to actually spend some time toward the end of the message reading through the account both in 2 Chronicles of this attack of the Assyrians 
uh, and Sennacherib and the Rebaksha against Judah and against King Hezekiah at the time, Ahaz's son, and how God defeats Assyria and defeats their king and delivers his people. And we'll, we'll look at that in Second Chronicles. We'll also look at the story recorded for us later uh, in the book of Isaiah. And so we'll get, we'll get to that in just a minute. But this is a continuing prophecy uh, from chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9. And now God is basically speaking here, the first few verses of chapter 10, uh, continuing that Assyria is going to be attacking them. The one who they thought was their ally and their friend is going to betray them and try and destroy them. And God is basically saying that Assyria is my acts of judgment against you. Assyria is uh, uh, my instrument of judgment against you. And it's one of those things that just blows our minds how God could use a wicked king or a wicked nation to judge his own people for their wickedness. Uh, and then he turns around and punishes the, the kingdom or the nation that judged his people. And you see it over and over again throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament. That is exactly what happens. So this is God's instrument of judgment against King Ahaz for the idolatry that he was ushering in into Judah uh, and human sacrifice that he was practicing. And so some of the injustices among the leaders, the rulers, and the judges are who God is talking to here in the first four verses of chapter 10. And then starting in verse 5, he turns and he begins to speak to the king of Assyria about the judgment that's going to fall uh, upon the king of Assyria. So again, we read in chapter 10 and verse 1, woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune, which they have prescribed, to rob the needy of justice and to take what is right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the orphans or rob the fatherless. So these are unrighteous, wicked, corrupt leaders and judges and religious leaders among Judah who God was punishing. Uh, he was uh, basically uh, bringing um, the Assyrians against them to punish these wicked leaders. And they were uh, writing uh, unrighteous laws, decreeing unrighteous decrees. Uh, they were uh, robbing uh, people of justice, especially the poor people. Uh, the widows, they were taking what belonged to the widows and the orphans. And that's the opposite of what good leaders should do. Good leaders should protect the poor and the vulnerable and should execute justice for everyone equally. But there was so much corruption uh, that was taking place at this time. You might remember when we were first starting this out, this uh, book out back in chapter 1 uh, of Isaiah, we read this because it's, it's, it's a similar sort of a theme of God rebuking his own people because they have abandoned uh, his law and abandoned um, his ways, and they're misleading the people. So back in chapter 1, just as a reminder, verse 12, I'll read this to you. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. 
Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you will make many prayers, I will not hear, for your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless, or the orphans, and plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He continues, verse 21, how the faithful city, Jerusalem, has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow Come before them. Verse 24. Therefore the Lord says, The Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy. I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. And so from the very beginning of this prophecy from Isaiah, God is calling his people back, specifically the leaders of his people, back to himself because they were uh, running amok. Their justice was completely shot among the judges. They were taking bribes. They were not taking care of the poor, the widows, the the. Uh, orphans, those who were less fortunate, uh, and they were just enriching themselves on the back of, of God's people. And God was about to punish them for this. You will remember in chapter 5, uh, verse 11, God was saying this to them. Chapter 5, verse 11, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow after intoxicating drink, who continue until the night. Till wine inflames them, the harp and the strings, the tambourine and the flute, and wine are in their feasts, but they do not regard the work of the Lord, nor consider the operation of his hands. Therefore, my people who have gone into captivity, because they have no knowledge, their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst, Therefore, Sheol has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure, their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he who is jubilant shall descend into it. People shall be brought down, each man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God who is holy shall hallow in 
righteousness. Then the lambs shall feed in their pasture, and in the waste places of the fat ones strangers shall eat. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity, and sin as if with a cart rope, that say, let him make speed and hasten his work, that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come, that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Verse 21 of chapter 5. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. And so God has already been calling them out about this. He's been calling them out about their injustices, about their corruption, about the fact that the judges were taking bribes and it was corrupting the justice among the courts, no doubt also with the uh, religious leaders and the political leaders. So it was just a corrupt time in Judah's history under uh, wicked King Ahaz. And uh, the Lord was going to judge them. It's interesting that, um, you know, God doesn't really change. He's the same. And so, you know, any nation that turns its back on God, uh, God is going to have to judge that nation, uh, especially a nation that knows God, a nation that knows better. Certainly Israel, Old Testament Israel knew better. Old Testament Judah knew better. They had God's law. Uh, And then many in the New Testament, many nations, Christian nations, uh, they also know better. Because they were founded on Christian principles, founded on the Word of God, founded on the Ten Commandments uh, of the Law of God. And so when we begin to see these sorts of characteristics among our leaders, we need to be aware that judgment is probably coming upon our nation. When our judges are wicked and they are corrupt in our courts, when our legislators are writing wicked laws and forcing wicked laws upon uh, our population. For example, aborting babies in the womb is a very wicked thing, and yet it's a legal thing uh, in this nation. And that's something that God is going to have to judge, abortion, killing the baby in the womb. And yet it's legal. We have wicked leaders, wicked legislators who have passed wicked laws and put these laws on the books. And then you have wicked judges who are enforcing these wicked laws. Eventually, God will have to judge. Uh, You have uh, all of the uh, terrible curriculum coming down the pike to the children in the public schools, introducing sex education to children at six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, uh, letting them watch pornography uh, at these ages in the public schools, teaching them how to put condoms onto zucchinis in fifth grade classes and public schools in in Santa Barbara. These things are happening. So eventually, if, if we have leaders who are making these wicked laws and enforcing these things, into our kids' classrooms, and we don't have a say in it, uh, or I guess uh, parents can pull their kids out, but most parents don't have that option uh, to take their kids out of these classes, Um, eventually God is going to have to judge us. He's going to have to judge our nation. So much wickedness, so much corruption among the leaders uh, in our country as well, just like it was here for Judah uh, at this time in their history. So again, we read in verse 3 of chapter 10, What will you do 
In the day of punishment, God is asking these rulers of his people, what will you do in the day of punishment and in the desolation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? Without me, they shall bow down among the prisoners. They shall fall among the slain. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And uh, we are certainly living in a time uh, where we have become lawless in many of our cities. We've become godless in many of our cities and states throughout our country. Uh, we have many who call evil good and who call good evil. Exactly the same things that God was judging Judah for in this time, we see all around us rampant in our culture and in our society today. And so the judges and the rulers and the kings and those who are put in positions of authority are put there to represent God. And they are there to act on God's behalf, to judge righteously and fairly according to God's law, really, first. And, uh, and, then, and then the laws of man that should be based on the foundation of God's law. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we, are, we are experiencing, I believe, um, the... The fact that God is removing his hand of protection away from us. I don't think God is judging us, but he just has to stop protecting us from all of the natural consequences that come um, from a wicked nation doing wicked things. There's natural consequences, and there are judgments of God which come. But I, I think God is trying to call California back to himself, call our nation back to himself, and I don't think, I, I think that our ears uh, are, are deaf to the call of God, at least in the church uh, in America. There's, there's so few that are, that are sounding the alarm and blowing the trumpet and warning the people of the impending judgment, which inevitably must come against our nation if we are going to continue uh, to uh, promote wickedness and godlessness and lawlessness in our culture and in our society. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus uh, read the, literally read the riot act uh, to the rulers of Israel in his day because they were misrepresenting God to the people and they were enriching themselves. Very similar to what Ahaz is being called out for in, Isaiah's, uh, in Isaiah chapter 10 in the prophecy in Isaiah. But we read this in Matthew 23. Verses 1 through 15. I'll just read this to you. Jesus spoke to the multitudes, Matthew 23, verse 1, and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they sit on the, in the place of the, of the judge or the lawgiver. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say, and they do not do. In other words, they, what they say, if they're following the law of Moses, is right. But don't look at what they're doing, because they're not following it themselves. For they bind heavy burdens that are hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi, or teacher, teacher. In other words, they love the position of power that they held in their culture in their day. 
he continues and says, but you, verse 8, do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Interesting that there's a whole church that calls their religious leaders father, and that's in complete contradiction to what Jesus said. He said, don't call anyone on earth your father, yet there's a whole religious system uh, calling the, the, the priest father. Uh, but he says, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ, but he who is a, the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of God against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. At this point, Jesus was just telling them the truth and speaking out without reservation, uh, without any fear of consequences, because they had already planned to kill him at this point. And now he was calling them out publicly, these corrupt religious leaders in Jerusalem at this time. Uh, again, verse 14, you devour widows' houses. They were, they were uh, exploiting the poor, taking advantage of their position that they had, and taking from the poor to enrich themselves. You skip to verse 23 of Matthew 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, or you tithe off your spices, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So they were so legalistic and so religious, they tithed off their spices and gave it the first tenth of their spices to the temple, and yet uh, they neglected the things that really matter, justice, mercy, and faith. And Jesus is saying, you should have done these things without neglecting the others or leaving the others undone. He continues in verse 24, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Uh, apparently, historians tell us that they used to be so uh, freaked out about an insect being in their water or an insect like a little gnat landing into their glass of wine uh, that they, if they would drink a, a cup and it had a little gnat in it, uh, they would literally shove their finger down their throat and make a big production to vomit up that gnat because they didn't want to have anything with blood in it, taking blood inside their body because they were forbidden to take blood. So it was this, just this big show, this big performance in front of the people to see how righteous and holy they were. They wouldn't even eat the blood of a gnat. They'd vomit the thing up. And yet he says, but you're willing to swallow a camel. Uh, and the camel would be like a semi-truck in, in their days or a freight car or a freight liner with all their goods and services. And so they were merchants. They were enriching themselves uh, off of the 
temple service and they were enriching themselves and then pretending that they were holier than everyone else. He says in verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like the whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I mean, he just, Jesus just really gives it to these guys and just, and just lets them have it because they were misrepresenting God to his people. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, verse 29, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And so judges, rulers, pastors, priests, kings, anyone in authority uh, is supposed to be representing God. And if you're not representing God, especially if you call yourself a Christian and you're in a position of leadership, um, then you will answer someday. Uh, that's why the Bible says, let, let not many of you seek to become pastors or teachers, because the teachers will have to go to a, a stricter judgment uh, at the bema seat of Christ, because they're going to have to give an answer for the souls of the people that sat underneath their ministries and underneath their teachings. It's a great honor and a privilege to be in leadership, but it's also a huge responsibility to reflect and represent God properly to his people. And so uh, Jesus read these guys the riot act. There's nothing new under the sun. Isaiah was pretty much telling the leaders hundreds of years earlier in Judah the same thing because of their corruption, because of them prescribing wicked laws, uh, because of their extortion, because of their not taking care of the widows and the orphans. The judgment of God was going to come upon them. They were selfish and greedy and covetous, lusting for power. And there just is nothing new under the sun. You know, oftentimes even religion can become corrupted. And you see that even throughout the history of the church, sadly. So back in Isaiah chapter 10, now he kind of changes direction here with the prophecy. And he, you know, he was prophesying against the leaders of Judah the kings, the priests, the scribes, and so forth. And now he's going to turn and pronounce and proclaim the judgment that is going to come from God against the Assyrians, against the, the king that was coming to uh, attack the ten northern tribes and then was trying to capture Jerusalem also. So we read in verse 5, as God now speaks 
Isaiah 10 verse 5, to Assyria. He says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. So Assyria was uh, God's rod of his discipline, the rod of my anger and the staff in his hand to judge his people, his indignation, he says. He says in verse 6, I will send him against an ungodly nation and against the people of my wrath, and I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take away the prey, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. And so God brought the Assyrians against who? Against the northern tribe or the northern kingdom of Israel. And they were wicked. Remember King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, uh, horrible, horrible, wicked kings, the ten northern tribes, uh, the, the two southern tribes who became the, the, the kingdom of Judah, had their own king and so forth. They were better. They, they had some wicked kings, but for the most part, they had good kings, righteous kings in Judah. But the kings of Israel were all pretty much wicked kings from the very beginning, uh, leading the people into idolatry, offering human sacrifices, making deals with the pagan nations around them, uh, trading with them and so forth, making alliances with God's enemies. And so God says, I'm going to bring the Assyrians against the ungodly nation. He's speaking here of the nation of Israel against the people of my wrath. I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take the prey, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. And God used the Assyrians to do just this in 722, 721 uh, B.C. The Assyrians carried the ten northern tribes captive Uh, and took them out of their land, and uh, really the ten northern tribes, the nation of Israel, really never came back uh, to the land, at least in a way that they were identifiable. Of course, God knows who the twelve tribes are of Israel, and he's going to get, you know, uh, 12,000 from each of the twelve tribes. The book of Revelation tells us 144,000 Jews. Uh, But when the Assyrians carried away the ten northern tribes, uh, they, they were kind of, they, they kind of just kind of blended in with the nations where they were carried away captive. And they really never came back and took back their land from the Assyrians. God was just fed up with them and their human sacrifice and their idolatry and witchcraft and so forth. He continues in verse 7. It says, Yet he does not mean so, nor does his heart think so, but it is in his heart to destroy... And cut off not a few nations. So now God is saying, I raised you up to come and punish my people, specifically the people of Israel. But you had it in your mind that you're going to destroy many nations. And you're not just going to come and take spoil. You're going to destroy these people. This is what the Assyrians were thinking. Uh, He says in his heart, he, he thinks it's to destroy and to cut off not a few nations. For he says, verse 8, Are not my princes altogether kings? Is not Kalno like Carchemish? Is not Hamath like Arpad? Is not Samaria like Damascus? So basically saying that all these other powerful kingdoms that the Assyrians conquered, that Israel and Judah are no different. They're, they're, they're going to be conquered as well as all these other uh, kingdoms uh, that they have conquered or nations. Verse 10, as my hand has found the kingdoms of the idols whose carved images excelled those of Jerusalem and Samaria, as I have done to Samaria and her idols, shall I do not do also to Jerusalem 
and her idols. And so these are the Assyrians, the king of Assyria speaking. God is, you know, basically saying what was in his heart and in his mind. Um, he wasn't going to stop with capturing Samaria, which was the capital of Israel, but he was going to go all the way to capture Jerusalem and to capital, capture the temple and, and uh, every, everything that was in the temple, all the gold and the silver and the bronze that was there in the temple. He's saying, shall I not do this also to Jerusalem uh, and her idols? This is what the Assyrian is saying and thinking. The arrogance of, uh, of this king that, uh, you know, they, they think that, that they have God's blessing to go and to just wipe out everybody and that's not the case verse 12 says therefore it shall come to pass when the lord has performed all his work on mount zion or jerusalem and on jerusalem that he will say i will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of assyria and the glory of his haughty looks so they are now going to attack Zion. They're going to attack Jerusalem. They're going to try and capture Jerusalem uh, and carry uh, Jerusalem and Judah away captive because of their arrogance, because of the arrogance of the heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his haughty looks. Verse 13, for he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. This is the king of Assyria speaking. And by my wisdom, for I am prudent, also, I have removed the boundaries of the people. I have robbed their treasuries. So I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. My hand has found like a nest the riches of the people. And as one gathers eggs that are left, I have gathered all the earth. And there was no one who moved his wing nor opened his mouth even with a peep. And so this is the arrogance and the cockiness of the king of Assyria, thinking they are unstoppable. And they were brutal. I mean, the historians tell us they were one of the wickedest, most brutal armies of the ancient world. They did terrible things to the people. They would uh, use psychological warfare. Uh, if you didn't surrender, they would uh, maim you. They would cut off uh, the noses. Uh, they would cut off the ears. They would cut out the tongues of the people. They would put uh, hooks into their nose and pull them with a hook through their nose. Uh, if they rebelled and they fought against the Assyrians, they would suffer greatly. And this was to intimidate the nations to just capitulate and to just surrender to them and give them all the gold and silver and, and, and treasuries and to go with them into captivity. And so they, they had this arrogance, this mindset that they were unstoppable, that nobody could stop them. And at the time, really, nobody could stop them uh, in, in the ancient world. Everyone they went against, they conquered. The Assyrians did until the Babylonians uh, took their place with, uh, with King uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his, his father. We read in verse 15, this is how God sees it. He says, shall the axe boast itself against him who chops with it? Or shall the saw exalt itself against him who saws with it? As if a rod could wield itself against those who lift it up, or as a staff could lift up as if it were not wood? Therefore, verse 16, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will send leanness among his fat ones. And under his glory he will kindle a burning like the burning of a fire. 
And so God is saying Assyria is like an axe in my hand that I am using to chop down a forest, basically. Uh, and, and he's saying, can the axe boast about chopping down a tree? You know, or, or the saw boast about felling a tree in the forest? And, and so he's comparing um, Assyria to his weapon that he used to punish his people. But, you know, they, they, they think it's them. They think it's, it's their own uh, power that's allowing them to conquer, especially after they conquered Israel. Israel was a very powerful, wealthy nation, and they'd already conquered Israel at this point. So now they're looking uh, to conquer Judah as well. Verse 17 says, So the light of Israel will be for a fire, and his holy one for a flame, it will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day. And it will consume the glory of his forest and of his fruitful field, both soul and body. And they will be as when a sick man wastes away. Then the rest of the trees of his forest will be so few in number that a child may write them. And so basically the axe that went and was boasting against chopping down the trees, speaking of the, the people of Israel, God says he is going to judge them and that uh, he is going to consume their people, their forest, their fruitful field, soul and body. Uh, and, and the rest of the trees of the forest will be so few in number that a child may write them, uh, comparing the, the forest there to the number of men in their uh, army, that, that God was going to basically wipe out the invading army, which he did do, of the Assyrians that came against Judah. We'll read that in just a minute here. Verse 20 says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. Remember again, Ahaz struck a deal with these wicked kings. He struck a deal with the Assyrians, uh, bought them off, paid them off to come and help him, and then they turned against him, against Ahaz. And so now they're saying uh, the remnant is, is never going to again depend on these pagan kings uh, who, uh, who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness, for the Lord God of hosts will make a determined end in the midst of all the land. And there is a, uh, a double meaning to this prophecy. No doubt he was speaking to the people there who uh, would see God deliver them from the Assyrians and from the hand of the Assyrians, but he's also speaking to the remnant during the tribulation period as we have been looking at here uh, on Sunday mornings using Isaiah 10, 20 to 23 as a springboard uh, into our message about Israel and God's plans for Israel and the saving of the remnant of Israel during the tribulation period in the last days. So now what I want to read to you is, um, this is kind of a very interesting history lesson uh, that God gives us in his word to where we don't have to go to outside commentaries to really see this story about the Assyrians coming against Judah, the terror that the uh, um, people of Judah felt because they couldn't withstand the Assyrians. They were way too powerful. And God had to deliver them. And, we, and so we have it recorded for us in two places 
in Isaiah's, uh, later in Isaiah's prophecy, he talks about this. And then also in uh, the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah, which we'll read here in just a minute. If you want to turn with me to uh, Isaiah chapter 36 and 37. And I just want to read this to you because it, 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 it tells you the story. It tells you exactly how this went down in Israel's history or Judah's history. When Assyria turned against them and tried to destroy them. Isaiah chapter 36 and verse 1 says this. Now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah. Now King Hezekiah was the son of Ahaz. Ahaz was a very wicked king. King Hezekiah was a great king. He was a very godly king. Brought many uh, godly reforms and put out all the idols and took down uh, the uh, temples to the false gods and so forth. So Hezekiah was a good king. He was the son of Ahaz who was the wicked king that we were talking about earlier uh, in Isaiah chapter 10. But it says, it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all of the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then the king of Assyria sent the Rabakshah with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And he stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder, came out to him. Then the Rebekah said to them, and the Rebekah would have been the uh, speaker for the king. He would have been either the general or he would have been the prime minister that the king sent to speak to the people on the Assyrian king, uh, King Sennacherib's behalf. And the Rebekah could just be uh, a title of a spokesperson rather than the name of an individual. And so he says, now, say now to Hezekiah, the Rebekah says, verse 4, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this in which you trust? I say, you speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. Now in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Now therefore I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses, if you are able on your part to put riders on them or horsemen on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. And so they're mocking the people of God. They're basically saying, you know, uh, God has sent us here to destroy you. Just like God sent us to destroy your brothers, Israel, the ten northern tribes. He's saying you should just give up. You should just relinquish the temple and you should go into captivity willingly. 
and he's mocking them. He's saying, are you going to trust in your God? Uh, are you going to trust in the Egyptians? You think you're going to hire the Egyptians? The Pharaoh's going to come in? You know, and, and, and Assyria knew they were so powerful, nobody could fight against them. The Egyptians couldn't fight against them. Judah couldn't fight against them. They're saying, look, we'll even give you 2,000 trained horses for war if you've got 2,000 soldiers that can ride the backs of horses, which, of course, they didn't. Uh, and so there, he was mocking them. This is like psychological warfare, trying to dishearten the people. So then this is the response, verse 11. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the Rabakshah, or the spokesperson, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it, and do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. And so again, these guys were so smart. The Assyrians had someone who understood the Hebrew language and was basically trying to get the people, the Hebrew people, to, again, surrender without putting up any resistance. So he's saying, speak in your language. Speak in uh, uh, Aramaic, uh, and we can understand that. But they were speaking in Hebrew, the native tongue of Jerusalem and of the Jews. So the Rebekah said in verse 12, Has my master sent me to your master and to speak to you these words and not the men who sit on the wall? who will eat and drink their own waste with you because they were besieging the city. They didn't have food and water. Uh, and, 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 and so, you know, they were trying to reach the people, even to get the people to uh, rebel against their king if they could. Then the Rebekah stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and said, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present and come out to me, and every one of you will eat from his own vine and every one from his own fig tree, and every one of you will drink the waters of his own cistern. Until I come and take you away to a land like under your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware, lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered its, its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? And the answer was no. Verse 19, where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvam? Uh, Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Samaria was the capital of Israel, which fell to the Assyrians. All these are nations that they conquered. He continues, verse 20, who among the gods of these lands have delivered their countries from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. But they held their peace. They answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rebekah. They were basically starving the people out, besieging the city, cutting off their food, cutting off their water, and they knew that it was just a matter of time before the people would starve to death. And they were willing to wait them out. And so they're trying to... Um, intimidate, and they're trying to persuade the people to turn against Hezekiah and to basically surrender 
uh, to the Assyrians without a fight. Chapter 37 continues the story, Isaiah 37.1. And so it was, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his own clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. This would have been the method of fasting and humbling yourself before before God, ripping your clothes, putting ashes on your head, uh, fasting, and so forth. It's humbling yourself before God. So even the king was humbling himself in this way before God. Then he sent uh, Elikim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. Then they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of Rebakshah, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him. He shall hear a rumor and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And so the Lord is going to deliver Judah because God loves his people, God has a plan for his people, and God is going to save his people. Judah is where... uh, the line of Judah, the kingly line, is where the Messiah was going to come from. And so God was going to preserve Judah. He was going to preserve that heritage or that line or that seed uh, that the Messiah would come through. And uh, basically, um, God is saying, the the Assyrians are, are not going to conquer your land. I'm going to cause him to return to his own land by a rumor that he's going to hear, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. We continue in verse 8. Then the Rebekah returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning Terkaha, king of Ethiopia. He has come out to make war with you. So when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by utterly destroying them, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan, Haran, Rezpah, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvium, Hena, and Eva. These were all kingdoms and kings that they had already conquered. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth 
incline your ear, O Lord, and hear, and open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants you have reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of my chariots I have come up to the height of the mountains to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter its farthest height to its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk water and with my, the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense." Verse 26, did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed it? Now that I have brought it to pass, that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore, their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb, as the grass on the housetops and grain blighted before it is grown. But I know your dwelling place, your going out and your coming in, and your rage against me, because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. So God is going to fight for Judah. God is going to fight against this powerful kingdom of Assyria and take them down because of their blasphemy and speaking against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and treating their God as one of the pagan gods that they defeated these pagan countries and threw their gods into the fire. And God is saying, I'm going to do to you what you think you're going to do to my people. I'm going to put a hook in your nose. He thought he was going to put, put a hook in Judah's people's nose and drag them away. I'm going to put a bridle into your lips, and I'm going to take you back by the way which you came, the Lord says. Verse 30, this shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as it grows of itself, and the second year what springs forth from the same. Also in the third year sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them, and the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward, for out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so they were in a very precarious situation. They were surrounded by an army. They were running out of food, running out of water. And, and they really had no hope. And the people were scared. And the people thought, well, let's just surrender. Maybe it'll be better for us if we just give up and give in and just go with them. And let them take us wherever they're going to take us so they don't kill us. And yet God is saying, no, you're going to eat 
uh, there's going to be plenty of food because they couldn't grow food right now because they were besieged. He says there's going to be plenty of food for you to eat in two years, and in the third year you're going to be able to go back out and plant your vineyards and eat the fruit of them again. In other words, they're not going to win. The Assyrians are not going to take you down or take Jerusalem down. Verse 33, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And so although nothing had changed on the ground, everything had changed because the Lord had spoken to them through the prophet that God was going to defend them. God was going to stand up and fight for them against their enemies, which he did do. And then we read how God wiped out uh, the army of Sennacherib in verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000 men or soldiers. Wiped out their whole army, 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses. They were all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed. He went away. He returned home, and he remained at Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Now it came to pass, verse 38, as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrach, his god, that his sons, Adramelech and Sharazer, struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Asarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. You can go back and read also in 2 Chronicles 32, verses 1 through 23. We don't have time to go back right now there, but... 2 Chronicles 32 also details this significant event where it was really an existential threat to Jerusalem, to the temple, and to the line of Judah at this time. And God defeated them. One angel went out in one night and just totally destroyed 185,000 of their choicest soldiers that had come to besiege and to take the city of Jerusalem. An angel of the Lord destroyed them all. And then, as the prophet had declared, Sennacherib went back the way that he had come. He went back to worship his own God in Nineveh, and his own sons rose up against him and assassinated him. And that was really the end of the powerful Assyrian empire. It wasn't a nation that conquered them. It was the God of Israel who conquered them and destroyed them because they came in arrogance against God's people. And God's people, Hezekiah, Isaiah, humbled themselves, tore their clothes, fasted, cried to God. Even Isaiah wrote the letter that Sennacherib had written to him and, uh, and the Rebakshah, and he brought it before the Lord and said, Lord, look at what these pagan people are saying about you. They're going to obliterate us, God. We need your help. And God answered through the prophet, and God destroyed their enemies. Amazing, amazing story how the Assyrians were used of God as a judgment against the ten northern tribes of Israel, but then they became arrogant and they tried to take Judah as well, and God would not allow that to happen. So back in Isaiah chapter 10, verses 24 to 34, this is what we're talking about here. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrian. He shall strike you with a rod, 
and lift up his staff against you in the manner of Egypt for yet a very little while, and the indignation will cease, as will my anger in their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will stir up a scourge for him, like the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb, as his rod was on the sea, so will he lift it up in the manner of Egypt. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from his shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. He has come to Aethath. He has passed Migron. At Michmash, he has attended to his equipment. They have gone along the ridge. They have taken up lodging at Geba. Rama is afraid. Gibeah of Saul has fled. Lift up your voice, O daughter of Gal- Galim. Cause it to be heard as far as Laish, O poor Anathoth. Madmina has fled. The inhabitants of Gebim seek refuge. As yet he will remain at Nob that day. He will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. So Isaiah is predicting this before it happens, that this is what's going to happen. They're going to conquer the ten northern tribes. They're going to get closer and closer and conquer city after city, getting closer and closer to Jerusalem until they finally surround Jerusalem, the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Uh, And yet God is going to defeat them. Verse 33, Behold the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will lop off the bow with terror. Those of high stature will be hewn down, and the haughty will be humbled. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. And so this was a prophecy that was fulfilled later, as we just read, later under Hezekiah's reign, uh, when this is exactly what happened and how God came in and God defended his people Israel and the Lord destroyed their enemies. It's an amazing, amazing thing uh, how God predicts these things and then we see the fulfillment of the prophecies later and how uh, they didn't even have to fight. They didn't have to hire an army to help fight against the Assyrians. The Lord himself went to battle for them and fought in their place and destroyed their enemies. And so it's a great encouragement to us. You know, we live in such a fallen world and such a wicked generation, and we know that God's judgment must come, or he's not a holy God, and yet he will preserve his people. He will protect his people. He will protect the remnant. That's what he does. It's who he is. And uh, as we see the world coming apart all around us, we know that Jesus' return is soon, and he will redeem us, and he will rescue us, and he will take us to heaven to be with him. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for defending your people, Lord, and uh, for these great examples, Lord, of men of God and men of faith like King Hezekiah and like the prophet Isaiah, Lord, those who humbled themselves and fell on their faces before you and cried out to you when their enemy was at their gates, Lord, and how you answered them and how you destroyed their enemies, Lord. Father, thank you that we could cry out to you in our time of need, even as a remnant among a wicked nation. And Lord, you will hear the cry of your people. Please strengthen us, Lord. Please encourage us. And please build us up, Father, to be your hands and feet, to be strong for you in these wicked days in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
little bit of a history lesson for you tonight, but it's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating story of God delivering his people, Judah. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.